Hello and welcome to Rear View, the show where we get to chat to fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. Hello, I'm Andrew and this is episode four. For this show, I'm delighted to say that I'm joined by Alex Goy. Without further ado, I shall move on to our conversation where he introduces himself better than I ever could. Well, thank you for coming on today, uh, Alex. Um, if you could please introduce yourself to the audience of Rearview, uh, let them know who you are, what you do, uh, that would be great. Well, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, yeah, I'm Alex Goy. I am the senior editor on carfection.com and theroadshow.com. And basically, I make films about cars and stuff stuff um that's pretty much me we, we we take cars we tell stories and then we put them on the interwebs and you make it sound so simple when you say it like that i, I funny it was <laughs> <laughs> so um the purpose of this show is that we all we i get on people who i find interesting who i would like to pick their brain a little bit to find out how they've got to be where they are today so if we can go back in the mists of time, and I don't have any fancy music to do that, um, if we start about where you first started to get interested in cars, do you remember when that was, and did anyone help that along? Um, yes, if everyone just uh, imagines some like harp music, like going backwards, like you used to get on Stingray, yes. uh, we're we're travelling back in time. Um, interested in cars. The, the the funny thing was, I used to like not find them interesting at all. I used to think they all were the same power and the same thing. Because my dad drove a knackered Audi 80 and my mum drove a Rover Metro, which later became mine, and that was awful. Um, and I had no real interest in it um, until I was about. Um, 13, 14, because I realised I would be able to drive soon. And that started becoming quite an important thing, and it was something I had in common with my old man, and so we sort of bonded over that. Yeah, it was, it was uh, at university when I, uh, uh, I was very nearly done for doing a big speed. I decided I didn't want to um, do PR, which is what my degree is in. You can actually do a degree in PR, as ridiculous as that sounds. But um, I wanted to drive irresponsibly fast for a living and talk about cars and have a bit of fun with it. And so from there, it was just a matter of getting work experience and, and pushing on and hoping for the best, basically. So um, did you do work experience while you were at uni? In your, was it, sorry, it was PR, so it was, was that an idea to get into the motor and industry with PR or just do PR? No, no, no. Um, it was, I went to university off a drunken whim. Um, so <laughs> that year, um, the year of my eighties, my, my father had passed away, which was awfully sad and kind of knocked me, knocked me for six a bit. And I did terribly badly in my A-levels. Um, so while all my mates were going off to Oxford and Cambridge and all that nonsense, I was still deciding what I was going to do. Um, and I went to the Notting Hill Carnival before the A-level results came out. And I was very, very drunk with my, uh, my late cousin and her mate, Rob. And her mate, Rob, worked for, uh, worked for a PR firm. And he, was, he said, oh, you, you, you'd be quite good at PR, you. So after everyone else got all their results, I, I decided, well, I'm not going to sit on my bum for another year and figure out what I'm going to do and redo a set of exams that I have no real interest in doing. So I'm not academically minded whatsoever. Um, and so I just went through clearing and had two choices, London Met or Leeds Met. And I went in to see um, the careers people at school and they went, well, neither are the best. Uh, um, but 
Leeds Met publishes their results and London Met doesn't. So why don't you go for Leeds Met? So 10 days later, I, I rang them and said, hello, I'm a couple of UCAS points short. Can I come and do PR in German? And they went, oh, we were about to lower the bar anyway, sir. Feel free. <laughs> um, and 10 days later, I was in Leeds, which is the furthest north I'd ever been at that point. Um, it was a little bit of a culture shock. It was it was most interesting. But yeah, um, so yeah, sort of a drunken whim. Uh, and then I did the degree or started doing the degree. Uh, figured out I I don't uh, well I'm not very good at, at PR at all um, and uh, yeah I I just decided I wanted to do journalism and then yeah, that was around 2004 so it was when what is now old Top Gear was um, just starting to kick off it was well, not starting to kick off but it was it was kind of reaching re- reaching the stage where everybody knew what it was um, rather than just being a pokey pokey motoring show. Um, and I decided I wanted to do that as a, as a job, basically. Um, so uh, part of the degree was doing work experience to PR firm every Friday, but I ended up doing it every Thursday and Friday and met a few people through there. But um, that summer, I ended up working for um, my local newspaper, Cambridge Evening News. Um, and then after that, I ended up, um, I, had a, well, I had a placement year, um, which was quite interesting. So I ended up working for a newspaper called First News which is for kids um, aged, I think, kind of eight to 16 or something like that. And it was it was it had just come out. Um, and so I sent them a letter. I was I was editing the, the uni paper well, a bit of it at the time. And um, I, I emailed them and said, hello, I'm doing a PR degree, but I'm interested in journalism. Can I come and do your PR, but also do writing and stuff? Long story short, it turns out I wasn't meant to write for children. Um, <laughs> So I left there after a few months. I had some very fun experiences and I got very, very drunk with some kids TV presenters, which was a bit weird, but quite entertaining. Um, and you know, it was it was a great experience, but it, it was it wasn't really the one for me. Um, so, yeah, did, did more stuff at my local newspaper, um, did some stuff at other PR firms, decided no, I really didn't like PR um, and I really wasn't very good at it. So I would go to um well i'd start emailing around car magazines because after a while of, of sitting on my bum and playing playstation going well why does why doesn't someone just pick up the phone magically know my number and give me a job because this is ridiculous um <laughs> picked up yeah I, I picked up the phone and went to work for um auto car uh, for a bit what car and end up doing a three-month stint at piston head um and then went back to uni and did sort of odds and sods for for various people over the year um over my final year and then um, went to, oh, Lord, I ended up with a column in my local paper, ended up doing a lot of stuff for Sky Motoring. Um, and then after I graduated, I went to um, I went to do Route 66 with a bunch of mates. And then when I got back from Route 66, nobody had any money and everybody was firing everybody because it was 2008 and uh, we'd forgotten how money worked. So that was a little stunting. Yes, that was a fun period. Um, it was, yeah, it was. It was an exciting period to try and break into niche journalism. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I had to get creative. Back on, back on the internship train. Um, I was, I was lucky enough to be able to do that, but um, it was, it was not maybe the smartest idea. And uh, bizarrely, I ended up doing lots of internships, the odd bits of freelance work, but also setting up a podcast, which is something that a lot of people didn't do um, back then. Um, 
I think it was kind of there with the American ones of Smoking Tire and Adam Carolla's Car Cast and Gareth Jones on Speed. And I got a couple of mates together. I got um, John Quirk from Auto Trader and uh, my flatmate Phil. And we sat in cars and talked about cars and stuff every so week. So what brought that around? Because obviously I um, have a little interest in podcast. A small one, yes. But what, what brought that idea up? Um, it was it was, actually it's because someone said no, and I won't I won't sort of name name and shame. I was doing a doing a placement, and I said to said to the the editor at the time, look, why don't we do a podcast? Because it's you know thirty minutes of of us in there in the audience's ears a week on the tube in the car whatever it's very active you know it's an extra string to the bow and it was a very digital forward publication i was working on at the time and um the editor um was keen and then i, I said look i'll edit it all i need is half an hour of your time a week um and i can edit round it and i can host it and do xyz and i was only an intern so you know it was it was me being keen or anything else mm-hmm. and then I pushed the idea and he turned around and went, no, I want an app. And that was that. He wanted an app. No idea what it would do, but he wanted an app. So that got shelved. And then after I decided I would go freelance because I'd been working for free a lot and didn't want to not get paid anymore. Um, I remember having a conversation with, with one editor who said, uh, rang me, said, look, you're free to come in next week. We need you to do X, Y, Z. And he went, I said, well, I, I said, look, I'm, I'm, I'd love to come in, but I'm afraid you need to pay me because you've been using my words long enough and blah, blah, blah. And he said, look, I've got so much respect for you. You know, you've, you've done really well. Your words are great. What you're doing is great. Um, you know, you're making the right choice. You're going down the right path because you can't have people taking advantage of you, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, cool. So I can come in. Uh, can, can you pay me? And he went, no, put the phone down. So <laughs> <laughs> there, was, there was a quiet period. Yeah, we'll we'll happily take this. We'll take all this stuff for free, and we'll applaud your stand. But go away. But but yeah, we can't afford to pay you, so sort of. Uh, it's the way it was because uh, there was no money. Way more experienced people were getting fired and then hired back as freelancers on you know a tenth of what they what they used to be on. Mm. Um, so yeah, there, there was a bit of a quiet period after that because there were very few internships and not much work. So I decided just to get creative. I set up uh, my website, which no longer exists, um, as a sort of bloggy thing, as a as a digital shop front, and then set up the the, the podisode. Took a bit of convincing, but I said, look, I'll do all the work. All you guys need to do is is turn up and talk. Um, and that that got them on board. And the idea was to have a new guest every week. And I'll, I'll never forget the first one because my my uh, my flatmate was there. John was there. Uh, in his old Jaguar XJ6, and uh, we invited my mate Duncan on there. My mate Duncan has no interest in cars and was hung over to the point of dry heaving all the way through this thing. Uh, and and John was like, please don't throw up in my car. Yeah. Um, John was worried Duncan was going to hurl all over the inside of his lovely car. Duncan just didn't really didn't want to be there. Um, and I was all keen because we were starting to do this podcast thing and it was well exciting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, it, it evolved from there. And the the good thing is, it's it's like what you guys are doing. You know, the more people that listen to it, the more people started talking about it. We ended up going on driving days. We ended up getting cars uh, to to record. We ended up doing little videos uh, with them, just with a, a flip cam, if you remember those. Um, yes, I am old. I do remember. We... Those. <laughs> <laughs> I remember the flip cam. It was fantastic. Um, 1080i video in the palm of your hand that wasn't on a phone. Wow. <laughs> um, and then Cisco Systems bought them and 
they probably stopped selling them because mobile phones took over anyway. Um, and then, yeah, we, we set up a website. We did little, we did fun little projects. We had the, the Podiso cliche matic with all the automotive journalism cliches. We had, yeah, the videos were great. We got, um, you know, guest pieces uh, featured in different places and it all grew from there because shame, shamelessly, the idea behind it was basically to get me a job. Um, because I wanted a job, but no one was hiring. And so the idea was to show that you can deliver news and you can deliver, you know, the thing that we do in a different way. Yeah. Um, Because at the time there were, there were very, very few automotive podcasts. They just were, Um, uh, you know, there, there, there there was, there was uh, Gareth Jones, which is uh, automotive based and had a huge listener base. And then the American ones and a few others, but yeah, we 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 did quite well, really. I was I was very pleased with how that went. I still got the 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 microphone somewhere. Um, you know, it was it was, it was a happy time because we were all much younger and, and very innocent, and you know, we we met a lot of people through it and uh, made a lot of friends through it as well. And every now and then, people still come up to me and ask when we're when we're going to get get it back together and and do another one. But so the the, the extent of the Podisade reunion so far is going to the pub and. Getting ble- bleary eyed. Do you remember when? <laughs> <laughs> I can barely remember yesterday. Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that, that's excellent. So um, I'm going to go slightly different tack now because that, that um, mm-hmm. I think that's a good. It was very long. <laughs> uh, no, I think no, I think that's a good place to stop because we'll 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 pick that back up again in a bit. Okay. But, um, I'd like to know some of your car history. Okay, I have a very small car history. Okay, that's, um, that's it's. It's quite, it's depressing. Well, you small. live in London, don't you? I do live in London, but I grew up in Cambridge. Um, so my car history is, is uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit rubbish, really. So I had, uh, my mum's Rover Metro. Then uh, my father passed away and I bought a 52-plate Mini Cooper S with a supercharger on it, which was woefully irresponsible for a 17-year-old, but I wasn't in my right mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had that for eight years. I bought my Lotus Elise, which I absolutely adore, but it's currently sitting under a tree and is covered in, in tree goo. Oh, dear. Um, and uh, then I bought my Morgan this year. So that's it, really. How rubbish is that as someone who drives lots of cars? I should probably have had something more varied. No, but the cars you've owned, they're okay. You've you've gone from a Rover Metro, which you are possibly experiencing things you never want to experience again in a car. Yeah, it was um, pretty terrible. Then you you go to something which um, cliche alert. Handles uh, like it's on rails, etc. Et <laughs> uh, then you go to uh, you've got an Elise and a yep. Morgan. The last uh, two of which seem to me you've picked cars that will hurt you getting in and out. Yes, uh, but I think that the the, the the overarching theme is basically all of my cars have been British, um, with a sort of mild German interlude. Really, that said, that the Rover was. Was British, I think, when it, when we bought it, but then they became German, and the Mini was British, and then it became German. Well, it was German when I had that one. Mm. The Lotus, uh, it's a 2005 car, so I think they were still wearing by Proton then. It may have been GM actually. 
Um, so it's either American or Malaysian. Um, and the Morgan is actually British. Um, but yes, the, 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 the Lotus and the Morgan, uh, very uncomfortable to get in and out of, uh, just very uncomfortable in general, really. Um, not comfy cars, not remotely practical cars. Um, but I'm a single man and don't need to do things like shopping or carting people around. So it's not really, not really something I'm worried about, frankly. Well, you're not old and broken yet, so you you don't you don't sit there going, you know what? Just a heated seat would be lovely now for this. Hey, my, my Morgan's got a heated seat. It's it got does. two heated seats, in fact. Uh, yeah, is, yeah, is that it, deliberate, or is that just because the exhaust is quite close? No, no, no. It's it's an intentional thing. Um, <laughs> it's an intentional thing. It is an option you can tick. There aren't many options on a Morgan three wheeler. There's colour stickers. Um, whether you want uh, all the like the the engine cowl and the roll hoops bright or not, um, and uh, that's yeah upholstery, and that's about it really. We saw one in the Cotswolds two years ago, and the kids yeah. the kids spotted it first, obviously. Yeah, and they start pointing and going, "That's amazing!" And the registration phonetically spelled out "Evil Mog." Nice. I thought, yeah, well done. You win. You've won. You win. <laughs> Whatever it is, you've won. <laughs> uh, but the, the thing is, the thing about the Morgan and the Lotus, actually, to an extent, is that it makes people happy. Yes. Um, the reason that the reason I went for it is because you know I was, I was turning thirty, and every now and then you just think, oh, sod it, let's do something stupid. So um, yeah, went went through the whole process, and I, I picked it up the day before my thirtieth, and it was very special, very exciting, very fun, and. Um, you drive it around town and people smile at you and they wave at you. Um, they they forget that you don't have a roof, so they forget that you can see them taking a picture or stooping down and sort of chicken walking across a road looking at you at some traffic lights, which is very bizarre. Um, but you end up in a million pictures. People stop and talk to you about it. People absolutely love it because it's a bit different and it's a bit exciting. And I like that about it. And it makes me laugh like a lunatic every time I drive it. I mean, I've been utterly miserable getting into the, into the driver's seat. And within five minutes, I'm beaming like a lunatic again, even when it's hurling it down, even when it's windy and cold and manky. You know, it's, it's fantastic. Well, the car screams fun. It does. It does. It just screams in general, really, especially <laughs> in purple. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, when I saw that you'd, uh, you'd got that, I was... I, I, I was that made me smile even via the internet because <laughs> i thought yes i like that 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 is excellent and if you have if you can do it then brilliant do it because yeah. you've got you've had that experience in your life then yeah yeah it's it's it was it was a fun experience to have um but it was um it was yeah it was it was it's it's not something i'll probably do again so <laughs> So what's going to happen to the Lotus? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm keeping the pair of them because I'm an idiot. So right. the idea is um, I've got one in uh, London and one in Cambridge at any given time, really. Mm-hmm. So mum lives in Cambridge. And what I do is um, I go up and see the mother way more than I used to. So the Mog lives in uh, in her garage and the Elise lives on her drive. So rock up, go see her, go see the cat, have a cup of tea, catch up with a few mates in Cambridge and then swap cars over and drive back to London. Uh, if it's raining, I tend to keep the Lotus, though. 
So, yeah. but why? <laughs> yeah. uh, roof mostly. Not not grown gills yet. <laughs> Va- vastly ineffectual roof, but roof. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, you know it's it, it's it's a nice way of going up and seeing them. I'm teaching her to drive the Morgan slowly but surely. Um, but weirdly, every time I see her after that first first driving lesson, do you want to have a do you want to go in the car? No, no, I'm awfully tired today. Right? Okay. <laughs> Yes, there's no correlation at all. No, no, none at all. None at all. So it's the, it seems to me the theme of your cars, you know, you've said British, but it seems to me the theme of your cars after the first one is fun. Yes. Yes. Always fun. Because life's too short to not have some fun in it. Well, I suppose you, you are uh, able to drive so many cars mm. that when you come home and it's your own time, you yeah. don't want to be in something that's, I don't want to say sensible, but... Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. No, it's, um, the, the, the thing about a lot of people in, in the, the, this weird profession is that they tend to be largely incapable of buying sensible cars, or at least normal cars. Um, so yeah, I don't need anything practical and sensible just yet. Um, and when I do, I'm sure it will be maddeningly ridiculous and probably... A Passat W8 or an Audi RS4 or something like that, something that's disgustingly expensive to run but would make me giggle. Um, but I, yeah, it's it's all about fun. I mean, the, the good thing about the Elise is um, it's a bit of a not a palate cleanser, but it's a good kind of benchmark of ah, this is rough riding, but actually quite well sorted. This is how cars should steer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This is how things should handle, even on even on the daily, which is always good to remind yourself of. Um, and you know the Morgan is is a good benchmark of of how awful cars can be. Um, really, it's it's dreadful. It's it's the worst car you can buy today, but because of that, it's one of the best. Um, you know, it's, it's an absolute shocker. So um, yeah, it's, it's 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 all about having a bit of fun, really. I don't I I don't do it for other people. I do it for me. Um, like the, the the cars I have, I mean, I've, I haven't got my eye on anything else at the moment. I haven't got any space for anything else, frankly. But oh yeah, that that mini, my mum still has. She's she's got that, so that's oh, still around. Okay. The metro, the metro went to a vicar's son, um, who tried. He did an engineering degree and he tried to keep it alive for as long as he could. But uh, eventually, it went to a scrap heap somewhere near Durham. Um, oh well, yes, <laughs> I shan't <but> miss it. <laughs> least said, soonest mended. Uh, yes. <laughs> Okay, um, we were at the podcast in your yes. career. Mm-hmm. So, did the plan work, and <laughs> did you get a job on the back of this? Um, yes and no. Okay. So, we did the podcast for, I think we started in 2010. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we started the podcast in 2010, um, sort of early on. I think it was uh, February or March or something like that. Uh, it was it was a quiet period after I'd said pay me to a lot of people, um, and then yeah we 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 started this off and it went okay you know chugged along. Um, I moved from my uh, from a flat in Putney to where I live now in 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 Clapham, so I had a bit more of a stable base and I worked from home and you know work work came in. I um, ended up doing a lot of work for MSN. Uh, simply because of where I'd done internships before, so I met someone through someone else, and they said, "Well, look, come, come do, come do some stuff for us. We're only in Victoria, and it was a five-minute train train journey away, so you know I could leave the house at quarter past nine and still be in for work early. Mm. So it was perfect for me." Um, 
you know, they were a nice team and if they needed me, they'd call me. And if they didn't, they wouldn't. Um, but, you know, I, I got out and about and I met some people and it was it was all good. Um, but we we just kept doing kept doing the podcast and kept chuntering along and more and more people started listening to it, certainly within the industry. So I was getting notes from from other journalists saying, you know, keep going. This is genuinely good stuff. And John was getting notes from uh, from PR people saying, you know, stuff like this is the future of, of the industry, uh, which was nice to hear. Mm. Um, and. You know, we were we were being noticed. You know, launch invites were were happening, driving day invites were happening. You know, we we well, I thought about turning it into into a business. So then we got the website up and running. You know, podisode.com, and you know, it was just it became a lot of work comparatively quickly. I and mean, we weren't getting any money in, but mm. you don't for a lot of these things until a long way down the line. Then you're looking at investors and things like that because monetizing the internet is hard. Yes. Um, <laughs> And then, yeah, <laughs> and then um, I was doing a job for, for MSN and uh, I was it was a Chevy Captiva launch because I was, I was doing the, the men's lifestyle sites. They, they launched this this thing called MSN Him, which was all about boys. Um, and I ended up doing the, the blog thing. So essentially being their columnist and considering I'm one of the least manly men known to man, um, my friends all found this very, very funny. Um and uh, yeah, we're doing a Chevy Captiva launch and I ended up driving with a chap called Robin Brown. Um, and I met a couple of blokes on the launch, um, a guy called Rory Reed and a bloke called Drew Stern. And they were from this site called CNET that I didn't know much about. And they did car stuff. And this was, what, 2011, I think? Yeah, 2011, that makes sense. Uh, kind of middle of. And we ended up getting riotously drunk and having a bit of a giggle. Um, I know it was 2010, sorry. It's kind of uh, mid to late 2010. And then I met them again because the pod, the, the Podisode was invited on a trip uh, by Volvo uh, to drive from Marlow to Meyerhofen on a single tank of diesel for, for snow bombing. And they were on that as well. And they were making a film on it. And, you know, we had a few beers and seemed to get on. And uh, Drew kept an eye on, on what we were doing, it, it seems. Um, a little later that year, we were still doing the podcast and I was on a Toyota Yaris launch with a, a journalist who's since left the uh, journalism side um, of the industry uh, called Tom Webster. And, you know, he works for this, this news agency called Red Spy, and they, they seem to do a lot of cool stuff. They worked for uh, AOL and um, Fifth Gear and a few other places. And it, 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 it seemed yeah, pretty awesome what they're doing. They seem to have a lot of fun. I'd done some freelance work for them. Um, and he took ages to get into the car, ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. And I thought... Come on, mate. We're going to be going to be last in if you don't turn up soon. Anyway, he, he walked up to the car, and I went. So, how was a job interview? And he went, "How did you know?" And I was like, "Oh, I didn't, but I do now." Um, <laughs> and he'd he'd just been offered a job at uh, at another outlet, and so I said, "Look, can you put a word in for me if you're looking to um, if you're moving on because I'd quite like a job." Um, I like money. It helps. I, me. I yes, it means I can pay bills and stuff. And um, he went, yeah, yeah, all right. Um, and next thing I know, it's the Frankfurt Motor Show in 2011. And I was being interviewed at the Ford stand. So, right, what's your money expectations? When can you start? And a month later, I was at Red Spy. But the interesting thing was, in the January that year, uh, the January in 2012, I had a Facebook message from this bloke I'd been very drunk with uh, a couple of times saying, we're launching a thing. We we followed your podcast. Can you come in for a chat? Um, and so uh, I 
did. Like I'd been in the been at Red Spy for three months, maybe um, two months, I think. Um, went in for a, for a beer or three with uh, with this bloke that I sort of knew but sort of didn't, and he explained that they were launching this this new project that was all about video and it was going to grow into X Y Z. But they wanted me to front it because I had uh, you know the industry sort of knew me and I had contacts and ideas and you know I could just about do stuff in front of a flip cam so they might be able to extrapolate that into an actual camera um uh, and he said look we want you to make the kind of films that you want to watch which you know as a person who likes doing creative stuff that's 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 jackpot that's you know editorial freedom which is fantastic um so naturally we got riotously drunk um and then the next morning i went to the brussels motor show and i um for a for a feature for red spy i think it's to see the citroen c1 get unveiled like the facelift or something like that it was yeah brussels has a motor show i didn't know that either um yeah right (laughs) um and then yeah i had to i had to make a call um because there was there was um a, a friend uh, had potentially said, "Look, there's work going at, at where he worked as well." So it was, it was, it was an interesting time, and I decided to take the take the risk and go for this CBS job. Um, the only thing I had to do after that was do a do a, do a pilot shoot, which I did, um, and they seemed to like it. And then I handed in my notice in the February, and you know, a week after I turned twenty six. Yeah, week after ten twenty six, I uh, I started working for this this CBS thing, making films about cars, and yeah, four and a bit years later, here I am. It's very weird, but really good fun. <laughs> well, I'm I'm spotting another theme here. The mm. momentous, life changing moments seem to happen when alcohol is involved. It's almost as though I'm I have a drinking problem. Except it's only a problem if you say it is. Otherwise, it's a commitment. <laughs> Um, no, but that's that's excellent. So, so um, that was X Car, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which has, changed. which is now morphed magically into into Carfection, um, because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I remember when the, it did change. There was a, there was people got confused, didn't they, with a name, even though the people stayed the same. People got very confused, and they got very shouty. The people stayed the same. Well, one of the people was different because we hired a new full-time producer, lovely Charlie, who is brilliant, uh, who's absolutely brilliant. Um, so, yeah, Char- Charlie started on January the 4th, which was the same day that we had to deal with the flack of, by the way, the names changed. And uh, the boss wasn't in and everything was falling down around me and we had to prepare for the Detroit Motor Show. And yeah, the, the first the first week of this year was was the least comfortable of my professional life and I never, ever wish to repeat it, ever. It was awful. Well, the problem is, we, uh, as we know, the internet thinks change is bad. Even the, the though internet they're clambering for change all the time, they don't like yes. it. <laughs> they, 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 they don't like it when things are different and foreign to them, but they also want everything to be... Uh, changed around them a lot where well, a lot of it does tumblr does um <laughs> so yeah bit bit tricky but mm, yeah it's it's all right now though um the the audience has gotten used to it that we get still get a few snarky comments um but there's no no real great shakes about it you know the the content if anything has gotten better so um, i agree 
you know, we, we've, we, we've been trying a lot more this year. Uh, we've been doing a lot more things, so a lot more uh, long-form content. So the Le Mans uh, piece we did, you know, going to Le Mans and following Aston Martin for, mm-hmm. you know, a day and a half, you know, that we, we wouldn't have tried that before. Um, we wouldn't have even pitched that before, but we went for it. We went all out on it, and, you know, the resulting film, is is really good if i do so so myself well i can because i had your delorean was excellent as well uh delorean two years of work that was um it should have been done a lot sooner um but that's down to me basically uh because last year we were moving offices and um i was we were, i was working from home for nine weeks basically while they were finishing building the second uh the, the second office then the new office and uh I said, look, we need to get this story thing done because it's gone on long enough, blah, blah, blah. Um, and uh, boss man said, all right, well, here's nine hours of interviews. Edit it down to two and a half or two, and then we'll send it to an editor. And I, I got it down to, to three, I think. And I was like, I cannot do this. I'm not an editor. I am an moron. Um, and then we spoke to our old producer, Nick, uh, who went freelance in May and said, all right, mate, here's the deal. Um, that DeLorean documentary that you started shooting in 2014, we'd quite like you to edit it because you know the story a little bit and you know X, Y, Z. And he went, oh, okay then. Um, and like three weeks later, there was a first draft on my on my desk and then we, we had a few changes to make and we did a few fiddles and yeah, 47 minutes of documentary later. Um, there's a, uh, yeah, a retelling of of uh, the DeLorean story by the people that were actually there. Um, and the fantastic thing about it is that I didn't have any hand in what they said. You know, we didn't put any words in any mouths. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just read books and watched documentaries and went in and spoke to people um, and, you know, asked them to, to clear a few things up and to tell their side of the story. Um, and so they were, they were genuinely receptive. I think the, 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 the chap that we framed the the interviews around, Barry Wills, he was quite defensive at first because mm. he'd had involvement with a Quentin Wilson film a while ago, and he felt that Wilson did them a bit of a disservice um, and wasn't very happy about um, about the, the the handling of it um, and the car they drove and X Y Z. So. I said, look, well, we're going to have some journalist involvement um, speaking about Matt Farron. And he went, well, if you're getting Quentin Wilson involved, I will have nothing to do with this at all. And it was like, oh, OK, uh, well, we're not. So don't worry about that. Um, and he, uh, he, he, he lightened up after that. And then we went down to his place in Coventry and spoke to him for about five hours. Um, and then he introduced us to a lot of people. So we went over to the uh, 35th anniversary workers reunion thing in in northern ireland which was just as thrilling as it sounds um there there were some genuinely fascinating bits but it was just a lot of a lot of deloreans not doing much for for a while um and then uh then we went and interviewed mike kimberley and colin spooner and spoke to a few other people um and the the thing yeah what we didn't do was say right so john delorean was was a scoundrel wasn't he we just said Talk to us about him, which is why, you know, in, in the piece, all these people are saying, you know what? He was a really charismatic man. He was a really, you know, amazing person. 
because he had this dream and you know he wanted to do this thing with a company he wanted to go against gm grain and we all wanted to do that because it was fascinating because it was it was going against everything we'd been taught in our careers and you know we were young guns when this was going on you know there were people that wanted to start their careers with something interesting people that wanted to define their careers with it and people that wanted to end their careers with it mm. and there was this man promising many things um you know, and there were various, various things that didn't make it into the piece that would that cleared some stuff up. So, you know, there was the uh, the the splash in the papers about the gold taps in the opulent house. You know, this enormous Harrods expense account that was funding them. And I said, well, what, what's the truth in that? And he went, the taps weren't gold. They were coloured gold, but they weren't made of gold. Yeah, we had an account at Harrods because DeLorean spent a lot of time in London. So it was easy for him just to go in there and make it happen because he went to one place rather than having to go to several um you know the reason that house was there was because we needed somewhere for people to stay on site etc um but you know it wasn't yes there was there was money that shouldn't have been going to places it was going but things like that the things that were being highlighted they weren't as big a deal as the papers were making them out to be um there was other stuff going on um you know and then when when we talked to them about you know the the working environment and how it was one of the, one of the chaps says in the piece you know there was a bloke leaving him threats and then miraculously after having a word with someone else those disappeared and you know molotov cocktails being thrown at cars and but then the general atmosphere inside the factory um and the fact it was a religion free workplace you know stuff like that is is genuinely fascinating we spoke to um lovely june uh, who was Myra C. and Edie's PA. And she was telling us a story of how she got her, her job there. And she'd been fired from one. And the implication was that it was because of, you know, her, her religion. Mm. And she was walking down the street and her brother had, had gotten, a, gotten a gig at DeLorean. She went to talk to someone about it. And she said, look, well, I'm, I'm this, et cetera. And they went, well, that's not a problem here. Come in. We're all inclusive. We don't, we don't care. Quite forward-thinking, um, really. Yeah, very forward-thinking. It was a vastly, it was, it was a sensible, sensible thing to do. It was a sensible idea. It's just the man, the man who, who held the keys got greedy. Mm. Um, and you know, there's there's evidence that he had some really shady business practices going on. But that's you know that's a, that's another story for another day. I mean, like there's hours and hours and hours you could go into to talk to people about that. Hours. It's it's ludicrous. Like what? John DeLorean allegedly did to end up in that situation in the first place is insane. Mm. But yeah, that would take a while to get through. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. Um, So that's um, not the norm for Carfection at these longer form. Are you experimenting more with that now or...? Um, has, yes, has we the are. idea of nine hours of editing put you off? Well, it's it's uh, it's not something that I uh, that I have to worry about. I, I I'm <laughs> I'm the awful one. I just sort of turn up and say, right, guys, I've got an idea. Um, who wants to do this thing? And they go, yeah, brilliant. That sounds fantastic. And then I go, cool, okay. I have very little to do with it. See you later. So the, the the Aston thing at Le Mans, for example, was just was talking to Aston and um, then saying, cool, well, um, here's the crew. I'll be around if you need me. Um, bye. <laughs> so we, we, we will do them because I think that it's that's the kind of stuff that we should be making and we should be paying more attention to. 
because, you know, there are some great stories out there. We've got one coming out um, towards the end of the year about Natalie McGloin, who is Britain's only female tetraplegic racing driver. Yep. Um, she drives a, a 911 GT3 RS. She races a Cayman. Um, she just set up a business called Spinal Track, uh, which is all about getting people who uh, are disabled or in a similar situation to her out on a racetrack and doing what she does, really. Um, you know, either to learn how to drive quickly or just to have a hot lap or two. You know, it's you know, it's it, it's it's a cool business. So we're we're doing a, a big piece on her and and highlighting that. Um, she is someone I want to get on this show, definitely. She's um, no, she, she's um, she, she's utterly fantastic. Um, you know, her, her story is incredible, and what she does, you know, she goes around, and speaks at spinal units, and um, she she goes racing, and she's she's bloody quick. You know, she's she's an equal on the circuit. Mm. You know, it, there are no there's no dispensation given. You know, she she wins races because she is bloody good. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, we that that piece is coming out. We followed her for the first six months of the year, pretty much. You know, every every other week we were we were meeting with her and we we did a big interview with her while she was living in London. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, that's kind of it for the for the really long form stuff for this year. But that's not to say there's not more coming next year. Um, but I just need to think of of stuff really because that's the question I was going to ask is. It, um... How do you do you have uh, brainstorming meetings where you get all together and you sit with whiteboards on all the walls and go, right, should we do this? Or are you just things you, you mull over and go, well, I, I, I think that would be cracking or I'd really like to try that. Or how, how does it how do the ideas for your films come up? It's more the latter. So it used to be a much more collaborative uh, process. Um but now the boss trusts me. So I just sort of say, right, I've got this car booked in. I'm doing a piece on uh, X, Y, Z, and we're going to frame this around this. Or I say, right, we've got a circuit for a day. They've offered me this. We've got a 911 in, so we'll do a, a film on a 911 because, you know, a, a, a standard film with us with a Porsche 911 does really well. So we know that's going to be a winner. Yes. But you're only allowed to do, you're only allowed to drive 911s in the rain, though. Uh, this is true. This is true. Uh, the last 911 I tried to drive, actually, I can't tell that story because it will go uh, go public, and uh, I said I wouldn't tell people. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, so yeah, we we have a racetrack and a 911 Turbo S. We should probably get our money's worth from the racetrack. I know. Let's stick my mum in a Focus RS, uh, and so we do stuff like that. You know, there, there, there's random things that just just happen. But normally it's um, I, I'm the the point of contact for PR and things like that. So I get the launch invite. So I say, look, well, this is going on this week. Can you, Drew, can you do that? Or we need a freelancer to do this because Charlie's away. And then, you know, if, if someone has an idea, if Drew says, well, I want to do a piece on this, then I can facilitate that. Or we have teams of freelancers. So we've got um, Rich and Daryl from Motorpunk and we've got Charles Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have freelance camera guys who come to us with ideas and sometimes need a little bit of a little bit of assistance, like booking cars in or booking locations or, or booking uh, crew, which is which is something else I do, really. Um, so yeah, it's all all things like that. Um, but it, it, you know, the the ones I'm in tend to be me just going, yeah, all right, we'll do that, or this launch invites come through. Okay. So when you, when you go to a launch, uh, I'm mm. thinking um, like the one one that sticks out to my mind really is the fear one two four. Yeah. Now, 
for anyone who's, who's not been involved in anything like that, what's what happened? Are you sort of parachuted in? You get the car for a day, and then you you have to create a film around that, and then go. Is that is that what generally happens? Um, yeah. So what happens is we we fly in, um, and we uh, I know basically what the what what the plan is. Um, because we, you know, with with that particular car, it's got an uh, it's got an important nameplate, um, and you know we can tell the story of that car and, and what it is. Um, so, you know, as much of the script as I can get away with is written before okay. we get there. Yep. So, so you, you have know, a, you have a general. Do you have a general structure to your films you like to or a flow you like to follow anyway? Well, I, I would say that, uh, but if, if, if you watched a lot of them side by side, I'm sure you, a pattern would emerge, um, you know, because it's, it's uh, it, with, with launches and, and things like that, in reality, you know, there's five days in a week, um, there's a certain amount of time to write, mm-hmm. um, uh, write these things, there's a certain amount of time to uh, record them. And, you know, I, I need my bit to be as quick and easy as possible so yeah. the, the producers can get on with actually making the film. Um, uh, uh, so yeah, we, I, I write as, as much as I can get away with. Um, but then, you know, the driving impressions and there's, there's things I add to it and the conclusion, obviously I can't do until I've actually driven the motor. Uh, so with, with a launch like the Fiat 124, you know, we flew in the night before we were all knackered and woke up at silly o'clock to start shooting the, the details of the car. Well, that's the usual thing. We usually ask for the car at 5am and you know, get the sunlight, uh, just it comes up and poor producer stands outside and is cold. And while everybody's tucking into their breakfast, I'm delivering the opening piece to camera. Um, and then, yeah, uh, press conference. And then as basically as much as we can get in as possible. Okay. So, you know, our drive-bys, GoPros, um, interior pieces to camera, details where we can, um, and then tracking uh, so it's usually on a, on a launch, borrowing someone and a car or borrowing someone in another car, um, sticking someone in a boot or in the passenger seat and tank commandering. And, um, you know, trying to uh, trying to get as much done as possible. So uh, on a typical, um, say that, say the, the Fiat launch, how many people's in the team then? Two, uh, me and a producer. So there's just two? Yeah, there's just two of us, yeah. And we, we tend to borrow somebody uh, okay. for the... Uh, for the tracking, and that's about it. Right. So you 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 are full on when you go. There's there's time is tight, and um, well everything's tight by the sounds of it. In a in a, in the sense that you are on it all the time. Yes, everything is everything is super tight and super tricky. Um, well, you know what? It, it depends. That's not that's not entirely fair. So it's um, it depends how much time we get in the country so some launches are mega tight um i think the mini convertible we we had nine hours in portugal and you know five of those were with the car um wow okay then the lotus of aura 400 we did last year uh we had three hours really um and that was in you know the soaking wet even though that was in britain you know we spent more time driving to get there than we actually had with the car we had three hours i think we used every single shot um, but you know the film turned out okay, um, so I'm I'm pleased that you know it's it's we have to work hard and work smart on launches. Some launches, um, some manufacturers you know uh, Jaguar Land Rover especially good at it. 
there's a separate tele rotation that goes out and there's there's an embargo uh on all the written stuff so you you fly out and you have your car for the the duration and you have uh, a crew of people in a support car so you have a tracking vehicle you have somewhere to put all of your gear so for example if you're shooting an f-type it's quite difficult to put a tripod and kit in for two days but if there's a discovery <laughs> up ahead with with you know loads of space and spares and water and cleaning kit and things like that everything starts to get a little bit a little bit easier so yeah. the launches like that are fantastic you know and, and tracking driving as well is it's easy because you just stick the cameraman in the in the back of the disco and off you go and you can track anywhere because you know we bring a harness with us and there's open roads and and things like that mm-hmm. um and you know we can do it as as legally as as possible um but the, yeah there, there are some launches where it's just the two of us and then we have to borrow a pr person for as, as much tracking as we can get away with and and then fly home day in day out but you know what if if the audience can't tell that we had five hours or three hours or however many hours to make the film then more's the better yeah you know the 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 more time we have you know it will show Mm. but at the same time if people think that you know everything looks the same and everything's great and fantastic no no so do you do you still enjoy being in front of the camera yeah yeah i am i am an enormous whore so um i mean i'm not saying that you don't look like you enjoy it but I, you know <laughs> what you what someone portrays to camera may be different from what they're feeling that was that was what that's what it means. no 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 I, I i still absolutely love it i think my um the bossman drew and i have have an arrangement and if i'm um if i wake up of a morning um and think oh no i've got to get up at five in the morning and i've got to drive this 911 oh it's only a 911 oh that's rubbish then the next day i go in i put the keys on on the boss's desk and i just walk out um because that was going to be another question do you still get a kiddie excitement when a set of keys to a car are given to you oh hell yeah oh yeah yeah um it's you know it's it's i'm yeah a child basically i'm 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 a big kid you know i love my job it's the best in the world the hours are are awful uh, a lot of the time like shoot days that you know they're very very long days they're very very intensive you know cause you, you I, it, it doesn't sound like much and so i can't really complain but you know you've got a lot of a, a lot of driving a lot of remembering a lot of trying to try not to crash um doing the right things for the camera etc 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 but you know you see a finished film and you see that people like it and it makes it all worth it mm. you know it's it's you know people have bought cars based on what i've said and i find that very bizarre more than anything else because <laughs> i don't trust that what i say authority. most of the time yeah something like that <laughs> uh, or it makes a lot of people very dim um <laughs> So let's go with you know, the first one. Let, let's let's go Don't with the first alienate one. the audience. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's you know, it's it, it's a great privilege to be able to do what we do. You know, I've I've been able to drive some fantastic metal over the years. You know, Jaguar Jaguar C types, Jaguar D types, um, Aveyron, Mister Pagani, Zonda. Um, you know, things like that. You know, it's pin, pinch yourself time more than anything else. Um, and we get to talk to fantastic people and, and do amazing things. Um, you know, I can't see myself getting bored and jaded with it just just yet. There are still too many stories to be told. And, you know, give me the keys to something big and noisy and I'll be giggling like a child all the way to uh, all the way there and all the way home. Excellent. Excellent. So when you get in a car, 
and you're you're testing mm. one out for the first time. Is there a particular aspect of a car that you always try and find, or do you is your approach just to just let it seep in generally, and we'll see where it, it you know what are the bits that I like and don't like? Uh, more the latter than the former. Okay. Um, you know, the, the the most important thing about a car usually for me is noise, because if it sounds rubbish, it's going to be the half the experience is wasted because you know your ears are quite sensitive. So it's it's why the new the new Cayman I think is a brilliant car, absolutely wonderful car. It handles brilliantly. Um, you know, the interior is great. It goes like stink, but it sounds rubbish. So I could never ever recommend it mm. until they sort out the exhaust. I think uh, it's the because, best looking Porsche in the range at the moment. It just sounds terrible. Um, so, <laughs> oh, well, I've not been lucky enough to try one, so I cannot uh, comment. But y- yeah, that y- that came across in the film. Mm, that it, it, was it, a disappointment to you. Yeah. Um, so for, for, for me, that, it's that, the was, noise, that but... was what was clear. You weren't angry about it, but you were so disappointed in that aspect. Yeah. Why does Porsche make such bloody good cars? Um, you know, I was talking with other people about it. You know, they're saying, "Well, I think Porsche's dropped a knacker with." with the Cayman in the box so who knows yeah but I, I totally get I, I totally get the sound side of things yesterday I was lucky enough to go in the latest WRX and a yeah and a C43 and, yeah and I drove with the windows open yep because um, why wouldn't you I think it was it was just such a it was such a unusual experience for me from what I drive normally uh, yeah and the normal type of driving I do because Little people don't tend to want to be hurled around corners and things. They 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 don't sit well doing that, do they? Not for long. No. <laughs> so it was brilliant. It's a brilliant experience to have. But yeah, um, we uh, you're watching the the, the films uh, on your channel, or you watch the telly, and there's a there's a loud fast car. You well, I can't help but smile. It, <laughs> it's a bit of fun. You go, oh great, that's that's good. Imagine being in them. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm giggling like a child. Like the noise runs are the best bit because you 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 drive within the speed limit, officer. Um, Obviously, of course, and make as much noise as possible. Um, and it's yeah, it's, it's fantastic fun. Right. Um, I'm going to move on to the section that we begin to close out the the chat about, and this is the quick fire mm-hmm. questions, where I I ask a series of questions. Um, I hear your answer and I move on to the next question without making any comments because otherwise this would not be an hour-ish long chat. This may go on for days because we could go down many rabbit holes. So in this bit, I'm going to try and be quiet <laughs> for a change. Okay. <laughs> so if okay. I can start with the first one, so which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? Um, performance hybrids. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Um, what currently worries you about the motoring world? Over-reliance on turbocharging. Ooh. What has been your favourite car to drive and why? Uh, Morgan Aero Coupe, because it looks awesome and it sounds awesome. Uh, what's been your least favourite car to drive and why? The Alfa Romeo 4C, because it was like being kicked in the testicles. <laughs> okay. Which car would you like to own next? Um, oh, Lord. Uh, a TVR Tuscan, circa 2000. 
what's your favourite road to drive on? Uh, the A505 from Bussingbourne to Cambridge. Is it the A505? Well, whatever it is. But from Bussingbourne Village to, to Cambridge, down a wibbly-wobbly road. You can't go very quickly, but, you know, it's fun. Okay. What's the most pointless optional extra you've experienced? Um, the Anything that goes in that centre slidey thing in a mini countryman because there's all manner of ridiculous things you can clip in there. And the long and the short of it is, it's like you can clip a cup holder in there or you can clip a sunglasses case in there. And that's about the limit of the imagination. So you either end up with a million cup holders or a million sunglasses holders, and they're all useless. And last question, who do you think I should talk to next on the show? I think you should talk to uh, John Quirk because I'm seeing him tomorrow night and he did the podcast, the podisode with me. Excellent. He is actually on my list. So I'm, I'm glad Hooray. I'm in the right areas. I have not approached him yet, but uh, I will begin the badgering session. <laughs> begin the badgering? <laughs> yes, quite. <laughs> Unleash the badger. Uh, <laughs> well, thank you very much for coming on um, and talking to us. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed this and it's been, I found it really interesting to, because it's easy to see the front end of it, but I know there's so much work goes on behind, and it's and it's interesting to hear that. Um, so thank you. Well, th- th- thank you so much for having me. I, I I enjoy the I enjoy the podcast immensely. So you guys keep on keeping on. I'm always happy to talk about the the stupid things we do because it's um yeah p- people tend to see the end product and go they they judge it straight away and go oh it's rubbish um but they don't really know how the sausage is made so when when someone else i'm always happy to to natter on about it well thank you thanks once again to alex for coming on rear view and chatting to me i hope all of you listening enjoyed it as much as i did you will note i forgot to ask the best way to keep up to date with what he is up to sorry alex the best ways are via twitter where he is at a one goy also the website carfection.com and the youtube channel youtube.com forward slash carfection. In the show notes, you will find all these links. If you want to suggest someone who you think we should talk to on the show, please get in touch. If you use the hashtag, rearviewpod, we'll be guaranteed to see it in Motoring Podcast Towers. If you want to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. If you want to keep up to date with motoring news and opinions, go try out our sister show, which is the Motoring Podcast. And please don't forget to leave a review and rating on iTunes, or however your podcast app lets you do that. It really does matter to the show. So until next time, That was Alex Goy, I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.